Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "A Wife Manufactured to Order" by Alice W. Fuller. This was first published in the Arena, July uh, 1895. We uh, have one subsequent publication. It was very recent. It was in a collection of, I think, very early female science fiction authors. I Names escaping me right now. But um, it's kind of a shame that this story has been languishing uh, unpublished for a century or more because it's pretty interesting. It's very breezy. Um, I'm going to get you to read it for us. Um, but I wanted to give a little background about uh, what we know about the author, which is basically nothing. There are people who are named Alice W. Fuller, uh, Alice W. Cook, um, and Alice Cook Fuller, who were authors, but their numbers don't line up. Uh, they were married, and they published books, and uh, we don't really know if this is the same person, but there's no other there's no other science fiction stories that we know of by her this is a science fiction story what i do know is about the author uh not the author the editor of the magazine benjamin orange flower he had the magazine called the arena and that was actually a publishing company as well uh by the same name and it was very I guess progressive is <laughs> the word for it. It was from the progressive era, and he had a lot of feminist uh, writing in there. A lot of the things that are mentioned in this story, like um, uh, theosophy, women's rights, politics, that sort of thing, um, were were in his books. He had a lot of theories about how to how people should read books, like what color the font should be. <laughs> And stuff like that. But he also published a lot of sort of uh, popular uh, popular um, progressive things of the era. And I think that is why this story fits so well into a magazine called The Arena. It's, it's saying a lot of stuff very early. It's kind of a robot story, but I think uh, we should get you to read it for us and then we'll... Have a chat about what's actually going on inside. Uh, I can hardly resist talking about the arena and what it stood for, but um, let's read the story. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, one of the things we don't know about Alice W. Fuller is whether or not it's a pseudonym, for example, for a man. I had a feeling <laughs> that that's entirely possible, but it's also so very female. We'll let the readers it decide. Is. A wife manufactured to order. By Alice W. Fuller. As I was going down G Street in the city of W, dash, a strange sign attracted my attention. I stopped, looked, fairly rubbed my eyes to see if they were rightly focused. Yes, there it was, plainly littered in guilt. Wives made to order, satisfaction guaranteed, or money refunded. Well, well, does some lunatic live here, I wonder? By Jove, I will investigate. I had inherited, I suppose from my mother, a bit of curiosity, and the truth of the matter was this. 
Now nearing the age of 40, I thought it might be advisable to settle down in a home of my own. But alas, to settle down to a life of strife and turmoil, that would not be pleasant. And that I should have to do, I knew very well, if I should marry any of my numerous lady acquaintances, especially Florence Ward, the one I most admired. She, unfortunately, had strong-minded ways and inclinations to be investigating women's rights, politics, theosophy, and all that sort of thing. Bah! I could never endure it. I should be miserable, and the outcome would be a separation. I knew it. To be dictated to, perhaps found fault with? No, no. It would never do. Better be a bachelor and at least live in peace. But what does this sign mean? I'll find out for myself. A ring of the bell brought a little white-haired, wiry sort of a man to the door. Walk in, walk in, sir, he said. I asked for an explanation of the strange sign over the door. Just step right in here and be seated, sir. My master is engaged at present, sir, with a great politician who had to separate from his wife. Was so fractious, sir. Got so many strange notions in her head. In fact, she wanted to hold the reins herself. She may have se- You may have seen it. The papers have been full of it. Why, law bless you, sir. The poor man couldn't say his soul was his own, and he is here now making arrangements with master to make him a quieter sort of a wife, someone to do the honors of the home without feeling neglected if he happens to be a little courteous to some of his young lady friends. You see, master makes him to order, makes him to think just as you do, just as you want him to. Then you've got a happy home, something to live for, beautiful golly. I've seen some of the beautifulest women turned out, most make your mouth water to look at. And so the old man rattled on until I was quite bewildered. I interrupted him by asking if I could see his master. Oh, certainly, sir. You just make yourself comfortable and I will let you know when he is through. I sat for some time like one in a dream, wondering if this could be so. And with many wonderful modern inventions in mind, I began to think it possible. And then there was a vision of a happy home, a wife beautiful as a dream, gentle and loving without a thought for anyone but me. One who would never reproach me if I didn't happen to get home just at what she thought was the proper time. One who would not ask me to go to church when she knew it was against my wishes. One who would never find fault with me if I wished to go to a baseball game on Sunday or bother me to take her to the theater or opera. A man, you know, can't give much time to such things without interfering greatly with his comfort. Oh, could all this be realized? But just then my reverie was broken by the old man who was saying, Just step this way, Master. Let me introduce you to Mr. Charles Fitzsimmons. Short, thick-set, florid complexion, pale blue eyes with a sinister twinkle was the description of Mr. Sharper, whom I confronted. Reaching out his hand, which was cold and clammy, and reminded me very much of a piece of cold-boiled pork, he said, Now, young man, what can I do for you? Want a life companion, a pleasant one, man of means, no doubt, and can enjoy yourself a little fun now and then with the boys, and no harm at all, none in the least. When a man comes home tired, doesn't like to be dictated to, wants someone always to meet you with a smile, someone that doesn't expect you to be fondling and petting them all the time, I understand it, I know just how it is. Law bless my soul, I've made more than one man happy, and I've only been in the business a short time, too. Now, sir, I can get you up any style you want. Wax, but can't be detected. 
do you mean to say you manufacture a woman out of wax who will talk? That's just what I do. You give me the subjects you most enjoy talking upon and tell me what kind of a looking wife you want and leave the rest to me and you will never regret it. I will furnish as many phones as you wish. Most men don't care for such a variety for a wife. Too much talk, you know. And he chuckled and laughed like a big baby. What are your prices, may I ask? Well, it's owing a good deal to how they are got up from 500 to to $1,000. Well, I said that, I think that, rather high. Dear man alive, a pleasant companion for life for a few hundred dollars? Most men don't grumble at all for the sake of having their own way and a pleasant home. And you see, she ain't always asking for money. Sure enough, I hadn't thought of that. Very well, I will decide upon the matter and let you know. All right, young man, you'll come back. They all do, them as knows about it. <laughs> I went to my room at the hotel and thought it all out, thought of the pleasant evenings I could have with someone whose thoughts were very like my own, someone who would not vex me by differing in opinion. I wondered what Florence would say I really believed. She cared for me, but she knew how I disliked so many of the topics she persisted in talking upon. What mattered it to me, what Emerson said, or Edward Bellamy wrote, or Henry George, or Pentecost? What did I care about Hume or Huxley or Stuart Mill? Any of those sciences, Christian science or divine science or mind cure? Bah! It was all nonsense. The topics of the day were enough. And if I attended closely to my business, I needed recreation, not just things that she would prescribe. Still, Florence was interesting to talk to, and I rather liked her at times when she talked everyday talk. But I could not marry her, and it was her own fault. She knew my sentiments, and if she would persist in going on as she did, I couldn't help it. Yes, I decided I would have a home of my own, and a wife made to order at once. Before leaving the city, I made all necessary arrangements, hurried home, rented a house, and went to see old Susan Tyler, whom I engaged as housekeeper. She was deaf and had an impediment in her speech, but she was a fine housekeeper. All my preparations made, the ideal home. Oh, how my heart beat as I looked around, and what happiness to do as I liked a beautiful, uncomplaining wife, ready to grant every wish and meet me with a smile. What would the boys say when, out a little late at night, I should be perfectly at ease. I could just see jealousy on their faces, and I laughed outright for joy. Tomorrow I was going for my bride. Side looks and innuendos were thrust at me from all quarters, but I was too happy to demur or complain. When I reached the city, I could scarcely wait for the appointed time. Alighting from the carriage, the door was opened, and I was ushered into the presence of the most beautiful creature I had ever beheld. The hands extended toward mine, the lips opened, and a sweet, low voice said, "'Dear Charles,' How glad I am you have come. I stood spellbound, and only a chuckle from Mr. Sharper brought me to my senses. Kiss your affianced, why don't you, he said, and chuckled again. I felt as though I wanted to knock him down for speaking so in that beautiful creature's presence. And then a little soft, rippling laugh, and she moved towards me. Oh, could I get that beast to leave the room? Why did he stand there chuckling in that manner? Sir, I said. You will oblige me by leaving the room for a few moments. 
With that, he chuckled still louder and muttered, Bless me, I really believe he thinks her alive. Then to me, to be sure, to be sure. But you only have a short time before going to the minister's, and I must show you how to adjust her. When you get home, and he chuckled again, you can be just as sentimental as you please. But just now we will attend to business. Here are a box of tubes made to talk as you wish them. They are adjusted so. Place the one you wish in your sleeve. You can carelessly touch her right here if that is anyone around. You can carelessly touch her right here if there is anyone around. Here is a spring in each hand and the tips of her fingers. I will give you a book of instructions, and you will soon learn to arrange her with very little effort, just to suit yourself, and I am sure you will be very happy. Now, sir, the time is up. You can go to the minister's. As I put her wraps around her and drew her arm through mine, she murmured so sweetly, Thank you, dear. How glad I was to get out of the presence of that vile man who was constantly pulling or pushing her. I could scarcely keep my hands off from him, and my serene Margaret, for I decided to call her that, would only smile and say, Thank you. Oh, how lovely. Ah, indeed. I was almost vexed with her to think she did not resent it. I, I wanted her all to myself where I could have the smiles and thought I should be thankful when we were in our own home. During our journey, I could not help noticing the admiring glances from my fellow travelers. But my beautiful wife did not return any of their looks. In fact, I overheard a couple of young dudes say, Just wait till that old codger's back is turned. We shall see whether she will have no smiles for any but him. I had half a notion to adjust her to give them some cutting reply and then go into the smoker a while, for I was sure they would try to get into conversation with her. But pshaw, I hadn't ordered any tubes of that kind. I believed I'd send and get one in case of an emergency. Nope, I wouldn't have such in the house. I wanted an amiable wife, and when we were at once at home, it would not be necessary. I wouldn't have to go with her anywhere unless I wanted to. Only think of that. Never feel that my wife would ask me to go with her, and I have to refuse, then ten to one have her cry and make a fuss about it. I knew how it was, for I had seen too much of that sort of thing in the homes of my friends. Business ran smoothly. Everything was perfect harmony. My home was heaven on earth. I smoked when I wished to, I went to my baseball games, I stayed out as long as I pleased, played cards when I wished, drank champagne, or whatever I fancied, in fact, had as good a time as I did before marriage. My male friends congratulated me upon my good fortune, and I was considered the luckiest man anywhere around. No one knew how I had made the good luck for myself. There are some things in life I could never understand. One of them is that when everything seems so pr prosperous, calamity is so often in the wake. And that was the case with me. After so many prosperous years, a financial crash came. I tried to ward it off. I was up early and late. Margaret never complained, but was always sweet and smiling with the same endearing words. Sometimes as the years went by, I felt as though I would not object to her differing with me a little. For variety's sake, still, it was best. When I would say, Margaret, do you really think so? 
and I would speak so cross to her often. I don't know, but that I did so more than necessary. Still, a man must have some place where he can be himself, and if he can't have that privilege at home, what's the use of having a home? But she was never out of patience, and my wife would only say, Yes, darling, so slow and sweet. I remember once I said, when I was worried more than usual, I am damn tired of this sort of thing. And she laughed so sweetly and called me her own precious boy. But the crash came, and there was no use trying to stay it any longer. I came home sick and tired. It was nine o'clock at night, with a cold, drizzling rain falling. Susan had gone to bed sick and forgotten to light a fire in the grate. I went into the library where Margaret always waited for me. No lights. I stumbled over a chair. I accidentally touched Margaret. She put her, her lips to kiss me and laughingly said, Precious darling, tired tonight? Good God, I came very near striking her. Margaret, don't call me darling. Talk to me. Talk to me about something, anything sensible. Don't you know I am a ruined man? Everything I have got has been swept away from me. There, precious, I love you. And she laughed again. Did you not hear what I said? I screamed. But she only laughed the more and said, oh, how lovely. I rushed from the house. I could not endure it longer. I was like one mad. My first thought was, where can I go? To whom can I go for sympathy? I cannot stand this strain much longer. And to show weakness to men? I could never do that. I will go to Florence, I said. I will see what she says. Strange, I should think of her just then. I asked the servant who admitted me for Miss Florence. She is indisposed and cannot see anyone tonight. But I said, writing on a card hastily, take this to her. Only a few moments elapsed and she came in, holding out her hand in an assuring and friendly way. I'm surprised to see you tonight, Mr. Fitzsimmons. Oh, Florence, I cried, I am in trouble. I believe I shall lose my mind if I cannot have someone to go to. And you, dear Florence, you will know my needs. You can counsel. You can understand me. Sir, Florence said, are you mad that you come here to insult me? But I love you. I know it. I love the traits that I once thought I despised. Stop where you are. I did not receive you to hear such language. You forget yourself with me. You forget that you are a married man. Shame upon you for humiliating me. So, Florence, Florence, I am not married. It is all a lie, a deception. Have you lost your reason, Mr. Fitzsimmons? Sit down, pray, and let me call my father. You are ill. Stop, I cried. I do not need your father. I need you. Listen to me. I imagined I could never be happy with a wife who differed in opinion from me. In fact, I had almost decided to remain single all the days of my life until I came across a man who manufactured wives to order. Wait, Florence, until I have finished. Do not look at me so. I am indeed sane. My wife was manufactured to my own ideas, a perfect human being, as I supposed. Mr. Fitzsimmons, let me call my father. And Florence started towards the door. She was so pale that she frightened me, but I clutched her frantically. Listen, I said, will you go with me? I will prove that all I have said is true. My earnestness seemed to reassure her. She stopped as if carefully thinking, then asked me to repeat what I had already told her. Finally, she said, yes, she would go. We were soon in the presence of my beautiful Margaret, whom I literally hated. I could not endure her face. Now, Florence, see, I cried, and I had my wife talk the namby-pamby lingo I once thought so sweet. Oh, how I hate her. 
and I glared at her like a madman. Florence, save me. I am a ruined man. Everything has been swept away. The last today. I am a pauper, an egotist, a bigot, a selfish. Stop, cried Florence. You wrong yourself. You're a man in your prime. What if your money has gone? You have your health and your faculties, I guess. And there was a merry twinkle in her eyes. The whole world is before you, and best of all, no one to interfere with you or argue on disagreeable topics. Oh, Florence, I am punished enough for my selfishness. Oh, God. And I threw myself on the couch. Were I not a pauper, too, there might be some hope for happiness yet. You are not a pauper, said Florence. You are the master of your fate, and if you are not happy, it is your own fault. Florence, I can never be happy without you. I know it is too late. Too late? Never say that. But could you be happy with me, a woman wedded to an idea, strong-minded? Why, Charles, I am liable to investigate all sorts of scientific subjects and reforms. And then, supposing I should talk about it sometimes, if it was not for that, I might think of the matter as far as money is concerned. That would have little to do with my actions. Still, Charles, upon the whole, I should be afraid to marry the divorced husband of so amiable a wife as your present one is. I with my faults and imperfections, the contrast would be too great. Florence, Florence, I said, say no more. All I ask is, can you overlook my folly and take me for better, for worse? I have learned my lesson. I see now it is only a petty and narrow type of man who would wish to live only with his own personal echo. I want a woman, one who retains her individuality, a thinking woman. Will you be mine? I will consider the matter favorably, said Florence, but we shall have to wait a year for opinion's sake, as I suppose there are not many who know how you and your late wife, there are not many who know how you had your late wife manufactured to order. And we both laughed. <laughs> There's a lot of chuckling in this story. <laughs> the, um... Uh, Master Sharper, the uh, uh, robot inventor or wax robot inventor, wax wife inventor, custom made to order wives. Um, a sharper, if you don't know, is a, another word for a con man. Um, and he he's described as being a baby at one point, looking like a... He chuckled and laughed like a big baby, and then he keeps chuckling every time... Uh, at the delivery when he says, go on, kiss him. And he gets really mad. Our, uh, our hero, Charles Fitzsimmons here. Um, this is a very, very funny story to me, probably not in the way, uh, everyone in the story is laughing, but it's funny in it. It's, it seems so 1895, if you know what I mean. I'm not sure I do. I'm thinking of things like, um, Kate Chopin's The Awakening. For Ooh, interesting. The one that uh, I was immediately struck by is one we've actually done on this podcast years ago. Um, it's uh, Jerome K. Jerome's The Dancing Partner, which mm -hmm. is much more fairy tale like. This is more science fiction like, but that one, they're mechanical uh, husbands, basically, except they're not really husbands. They're, they're dancing partners for a bunch of young women who want to dance all night. 
Um, uh, it has a much darker turn than this one does. This one seems pretty light-hearted, although I keep thinking about poor Marguerite sitting at home alone, <laughs> unable oh, you to. You are very kind, Jesse. <laughs> unable to I, I express. Think, I think all we have to do is remove her batteries, and she'll be just fine. That's. Uh, it's pretty weird, right? I mean, the tone here is so strange. <laughs> it's moralizing, I but I, I don't I feel like wonder. it is. What exactly is the wife here? Is this a sex doll? I mean, there's no it's word so interesting, that. right? It's so interesting. He, I, did he actually go to the the minister? Because it doesn't say he did. No, it does not. Um, and not. and if if you've got a wife who you only have at home, who only says things for you, um, you know he's he's saying it's going to be great. I'm going to lord it over my. My fellow married men, I can act like a bachelor. They're going to be so jealous. Um, it is. It's it, it's like it's a sex doll story without any sex. It's completely chaste. And the the way um, our uh, I love her name Florence Ward, Floward mm-hmm. Forward, <laughs> Florence Ward um, is so prim and proper. You know, she is offended by his his amorous advances because. He's married. <laughs> he says, I'm not really married. No, it's all a sham. Um, it, it, the story is like incredibly moralizing, but I, I feel like it's like um, it's all a comedy moralizing. Like it, it's just such a ridiculous situation. And yet it gets its point across like um, there's some deep stuff here about like uh, uh, was it Plato who says um, a friend. Uh, is a second self, somebody who will call you on your bullshit, right? I don't think Plato put it quite that way. Well, he probably didn't use the word bullshit, uh, he, uh, you know, oxen shit or something. But <laughs> the important part is uh, he he wants somebody who is a yes, yes woman, right? Oh, yes, dear. Um, at least in the in the, the phonograph, the fact that she's pretty is is good, too. But I love how comedic the situation is he's on the train taking his wife his new doll wife back to his home where he's not going to let her out again never have to take her to the church which is important and never have to take her to uh, the theater which is you know important for him he if he doesn't want to go to the theater he's not going to go to the theater and and then he overhears some young man saying well he thinks she's only got eyes for him right now but as soon as his back's turned right and he wants to he wants to prompt her to to give a rebuke to them, but he doesn't have the bulb for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and he says, "Oh, I should get that bulb." I should. Oh no, no, I can't even have that in my house. He he's right. he's kind of insane. Is is our? It, it's like a it's a cartoon level of of characterization of of the man and the woman and everything and. And yet, I think his point, or sorry, her point, Alice Fuller's point, is actually very nice. Because we see this in later stuff, uh, later science fiction, you know, with actual robot wives. As opposed to yeah. wax, wax, uh, I don't know, walking wax machines. It's, it's very undercooked there. But it's a very interesting story. I, I would like to add quickly before we, uh, we turn away from this. Uh, at least two other points about it. One, the language here is, I think, cleverer than we give it credit for, particularly when it involves Florence. So when 
she says, um, there are not many who know how you had your late wife manufactured for order. <laughs> that insertion of late wife is mm. her way of saying, okay, we'll make believe, we'll kill her. It's just beautiful. She mm. puts in that one adjective, and you see the entire agreement that's been made between Charles Fitzsimmons and Florence Ward. Another example of how the language is actually um, more clever here than one might imagine, the word ward has a double meaning in English, like mm -hmm. the word um, um, uh, cleave, which can mean either join together or mm. split apart. Ward can be to take care of something, mm -hmm. like a warden wards his, his uh, charges, or a ward can be the one taken care of. Mm -hmm. And when um, Charles Fitzsimmons realizes he's reached the last of his financial uh, world, having passed through his hands, he says he needed something to ward against that mm. calamity. And then he says, it's strange how uh, Florence came to mind. <laughs> exactly. And up comes Florence Ward. Uh -huh. And one of the things that I love about this is she is not willing to just throw out uh, the forms of the day. She won't see a married man alone except under a great need she wants to bring her father clearly she lives with her father she understands the society at this point expects a man to stand up for the household and yet she's willing to stand up for herself she's willing to make decisions on her own she appreciates getting beyond the automatic and into the personal so what we see here is a quick foreshadowing of a marriage in which he will ward her and she will ward him. Mm. There's a kind of equal caring for each other and being cared by. And that's really quite wonderful. It goes well beyond the, uh, the at that time, progressive things like Henry George's um, single tax ideas mm -hmm. and, and so on, which are all mentioned in, you know, what would a woman think of? Looking backward by Edward Bellamy's mentioned, and that's it's explicitly a science, you know, a famous science fiction utopian novel. So uh, this this is engaged in in the idea that things are going to be different in the future, and yet this is very um, it's a futuristic story with all these novel you know technologies coming out. Who knows? Maybe there will be a wife manufactured to order next year. But you know, there is there is virtually the same setup in E.T.A. Hoffman's The Sandman, mm. which is 1816. In The Sandman, um, a scientist creates an automaton that can it, that it goes, mm-hmm. It's a gorgeous-looking woman. She goes, mm-hmm. She looks at people's eyes. She is utterly mechanical, and our hero, protagonist, falls in love with her, so madly in love with her that he won't believe that she is not real. Um, Olympia is her name. And when he finally comes to, his mind has been so horrified by, by her not willing to say something in obvious response to what he says, but he's been loving her so much. He's been taking her silences, being demure, and so on, <laughs> that he goes crazy. He goes spinning around and he jumps off the tower uh, in the town. And in the wake of that tragedy, we're told at the end of Hoffman's story, um, men insisted that their wives in conversation 
would occasionally cough or mispronounce a word or ah. say something that would otherwise be disagreeable because they wanted to keep assuring themselves they hadn't also become entrapped by an automaton. <laughs> that's that's about 80 years. It's, it's 1816. This is 1895. It's about 80 years in advance of this story. Wow. So that science fiction notion is not just, you know, the future will be different. Mm -hmm. It is, what if we try to make basic human nature different? Mm. What does that lead to? And, of course, what it leads to is, as always, more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.